How's it going, folks? Welcome back to the Point Being Podcast. I'm your host, Edward Salaya. I'm back from my furlough week. I am joined today by one of our great reporters, Miss Kathy Birch. Kathy, why don't you introduce yourself and your beats? Good morning, afternoon, whenever you're reading this, seeing this. Um, I am Kefalania Birch, and I, uh, I cover everything at the Arizona Daily Star from classical music, country music, rap, hip-hop, the wine industry, the beer industry, and restaurants. All right. Well, restaurants are the pertinent uh, topic today. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the recent opening up of restaurants and bars this week, uh, kind of unexpected. And I think that kind of leads me into my first question. Uh, Late last week, Governor Doug Ducey uh, announced that on May 11th, which was earlier this this week, um, restaurants could resume uh, having patrons come in. Uh, It was supposed to be May 12th, but then the president came and things kind of changed. Uh, Who knows what happened there? Uh, That's subject of another podcast. Um, but ultimately this week, what you saw was kind of a hodgepodge of openings from restaurants, uh, catering businesses and bars. Uh, so Kathy, can you kind of explain or make sense of, uh, what this weird rollout was like and and why it was the way it was? No, it was, it was kind of, um, kind of chaotic. You know, I mean, we initially had this, uh, you know, Governor Ducey had said, we're going to extend the stay-at-home order. And then literally 48, 72 hours later, he's like, oh, but restaurants can open on May 12th. And then they pushed it back to May uh, 11th. And then you had the bar industry and, and they were up in arms saying, wait a second, why can they reopen and we can't? And so it became, it became this like arm wrestling over licenses and and fairness and and it was kind of crazy and then you also had the uh not uh too soon arizona which was a really interesting group of restaurateurs and some bar people who were saying it's too soon you know and they actually signed on and and it was it it was a statewide movement but if you look at the list of people who had signed on it was like 98 percent were from tucson and they were mostly restaurants but they were i mean their their view was they were looking a little bit long range and saying if if we open up right now when our numbers are not meeting the CDC requirements, then we're going, we're asking for trouble and we're going to do more harm than good by jumping in. Um, so it, it was, it was kind of crazy. The whole situation was, was a little bit dizzying. Now you kind of alluded to my, my next question in, in your answer there, um, having to do with the too soon Arizona movement. Uh, and how it kind of sprang up, number one, here in Tucson, and how it kind of uh, has, I wouldn't say a pushback towards, but there's definitely a split in the industry uh, between those who were supporting of that Too Soon Arizona movement and those who were kind of wanting or, in their argument, needing to open up as soon as possible. Talk to me a little bit about that split and kind of what the reasonings are on both sides of the argument. So the reason, you know, I, I think that a lot of people um, may not be aware or they are aware, but uh, the reason that restaurants and bars wanted to open um, is because in Tucson, our, you know, they, they make the bulk of their money from January through late March, early April. That is our season. We were closed from our season. 
So they had absolutely no income. They, they depend on that money to get them through the summer because summertime in Tucson, as everybody knows, is everything is dead. You know, I mean, we lose our student population. We lose our winter residents. We also lose our regular residents who are like, you know, forget it. I'm out of here. I'm seeking San Diego beaches. Um, and so we, we have such an incredible death in our business, you know, in the restaurants. It becomes so, uh, so slow that they depend on that money to carry them through until the fall. And now they have that, they have those, there are no reserves, you know, and there are also some restaurateurs who are genuinely, who were genuinely concerned about their employees, that they wanted to keep their employees, uh, you know, they wanted to keep them on the pay payroll and, and make sure that they had incomes and could survive. Um, but on the other side of that, you had some other restaurants that were saying, you know, we uh, were taking care of our employees with the PPE funds or, or however we're managing to do that. But we're also looking at the longer range. We're looking at the bigger picture that if we open right now without having met those CDC benchmarks, we're looking at the potential of this resurging and it would be even worse. And the economic damage would be, you know, far worse and it would also be longer range and much harder to recover so I think those are the two camps you have and both of them have really good reasons you know and a lot of the um a lot of the too soon Arizona restaurants have come out and said that you know they're starting to to make plans to reopen and they're looking uh you know at reopening at the end of this month or in early June I think they're just waiting to see what happens they're waiting to see if if um if their dire predictions are correct. And I think that they're also secretly hoping that they're not, you know, and that, yeah. that yeah, I don't yeah. think anybody's rooting for this to get worse. Oh no. And, and I didn't mean it that way. I mean, yeah. I, I think that they're like, you know, even if it turns out everything is rosy, they're going to be like, you know, it was worth, you know, losing out on two weeks of business mm -hmm. because I wanted to be safe and sorry. So I think that's, that's where you're playing it right now. Gotcha. But the craziest, I'm, I'm going to segue a little bit. The craziest uh, story of this was the, was not the restaurants. It was the bars. I mean, because the bars, you know, they, they were, you know, they were told by the county, you cannot reopen. You know, you must be a restaurant. You cannot, we are not allowing you to reopen. And then you have the, uh, the craft brew uh, group going to Governor Ducey, successfully lobbying their point and being able, you know, being told, yes, you can open and you have to serve food and your food can be as simple as a bag of chips. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories about those, this little loophole that some... Yeah, and so that was the most interesting thing. You know, that, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, you know, because uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have my opinions on that, but it's just, that was a crazy roller coaster. Well, hopefully uh, none of the cases tick up, but I myself will probably not be going out till the beginning of June uh, to, to dine in or to, yeah. to go to the bar with anybody or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of want to see how this plays out for the next two weeks. Well, you know, it's really interesting when we went out and, uh, and I did my first in-person assignment with the mask. <laughs> Um, and I went to a couple of restaurants and one of them was the R&R Pizza out in Marana, which is in my area, a great pizza place, um, right off the freeway in Marana Road, uh, Sandario Road. And the, the owner told me something that I thought was really, really significant. She said they were really slow in their lunch and they are 
they're primarily takeout, so you know they they weren't going to see a rush to their little tiny dining room for dinner. But she said, you know, she goes, I I really think the reason we're so slow is because people are might be afraid. But she said, but mostly because I think people have gotten into the the habit and the mindset about takeout, which I think is going to be an interesting thing to see play. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, our people are people going to be reticent to go back not because they're scared but because hey we've been eating at home and you know we've tried all these great restaurants and we can just do it at home and we don't have to dress up and you know dad can wear his pajamas and no shirt i i you know i i totally agree i think restaurants are going to kind of run into the same thing that live sports have run into in that hey the experience at home is just so good oh yeah Uh, yeah i you know i don't need to go to the restaurant to watch the game or anything i've got a million channels and streaming content here at home right the hassle kind of is easier it's easy (laughs) up every you don't have to ring cheaper yep (laughs) um you know you've got your own dessert there nobody's going to be paying for the pizuki at the end of the mill Uh, yeah the, you know, I, I do want to try to kind of make sense and put this, these last six weeks, these last two months kind of in context for the industry. You were around in town for the 2008 downturn. How mm-hmm. does this compare in scope and scale to that, uh, that sort of catastrophe? You know, there are, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, there, there are similarities in the respect that um, – I, I think the biggest difference is that at this point, apparently, people have money still. I mean, and that's that's being uh, shown by the fact that people are going out and they are ordering takeout. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in 2008, people did not have money for takeout. You know, people were losing their jobs and there was no federal... Uh, parachute where you could get that federal unemployment attached to your very small Arizona unemployment, you know, so there was no parachute there. Um, I think that's the biggest difference, you know, um, I think also, I think, you know, back in 2008, we were like, Oh, the economic downturn downturn always is followed by an uptick mm-hmm. here. We're like, this is so beyond our control. You know, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen and we can't just say, let's pump, you know, let's, let's make this policy change. Let's do this economic, you know, injection, and maybe that'll lift the economy. That's not what's happening here. We're, we're being ruled by something that we have at this point, absolutely no control. And we don't have any control mainly, I think, over people's fears, Mm. you know, and that's going to be the, the deciding factor, even when we're on the other side of this, that's going to be the deciding factor. How fearful are people going to be how long are we going to be in this situation and how deeply in, in, you know, ingrained is that, that socialized fear going to be? I'm not a psychologist, but I want to play one on TV. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, you can at least play one over the air here with us. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit then, um, have you seen a rash of restaurant bar closings um, or has it been, has the carnage been pretty minimal? Permanent closings? Yes. Um, I have only heard of a couple. Um, I know that uh, Bianchi's early on closed their location in Marana. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that their was, second one. That's not the main. That was their second location. That's not their main location. That was and and you know and that that situation was so sad because when they opened, they were you know hindered by this huge road project 
that took 18 months. I know. Then the yep. road opens and they're all excited and things are going well. And then all of a sudden what happens? A pandemic, you know what I mean? So they were, they just were, were caught. Um, I'm trying to think, what was the other restaurant that closed? I'm just having, oh, I know that like uh, in Marana, the Village Inn restaurant closed. Uh, uh, it, oh, okay. Yeah, and it's a chain and you would think that, you know, they would be bolstered, but, uh, but they closed right away. I mean, they, they basically were like, yeah, people aren't taking, uh, you know, although I argue that they would have taken the pies out. Seriously I, argue I, that the pies could have kept them floating. I love their pies. I, I used know, to live right? next to one in Chandler, and we would grab a pie there at least once a week. So At least once a week. But but they, they called it quits. They threw in the towel literally probably within two or three days of, of the restaurant's closing. They put the sign up that said, we're out. Dealer out, we're gone. Um, and I, I'm, I'm thinking there were a couple other very small restaurants, but I, I'm, I'm digging my brain and I can't think of the, the mm. ones that there, there have been a couple. But there's also been a couple of openings, which is really super surprising, like Rustico's uh, Taco over off of Grant and what is that, Oracle? I could not believe he opened literally the day after. His first day was the day after restaurants were closed. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. So there, there's been some daisies and daffodils that have risen through the cracks of the concrete then. Huh? Yeah. And I, you know, I think though, Eddie, I think the, uh, the real test is going to be um, once we, we start, people are reopening and seeing how it comes out. I think you're going to see restaurants that are vulnerable to close. You're going to see them close later this summer, early in the fall. There and I, I do think that we are going to have, um, we're going to have some. I mean, I, I won't predict how many, but there are going to probably be a, quite a few restaurants that are going to going to cash out in the next couple of months. Well, for a town that's so so food centric uh, mm-hmm. and it's uh, how it expresses its culture, that is uh, a tragedy. Uh, yeah, not just for the the people who will lose their jobs, but for the city as a whole. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Let's try and end this a little bit on a positive. I know you had a story um, at the or at the outset of this week that had to do with the dean of uh, Tucson Chefs here in town, John Oswilder, mm-hmm. uh, helping uh, cater kind of an event for uh, first responders. Tell us a little about that and, and some other positive stories you might be working on in the future. Um, yeah, Janos did this. He, uh, he was approached by someone who wanted to an anonymous donor who said, I'll give you this money. And initially the plan was we're going to do 2000 meals. Well, it turned out they did 1400. Um, and it was his largest ever, uh, cooking event, you know? And so he assembled, you know, I mean, he's sort of like this architect. He draws out a plan and, you know, how are we going to do it? And, And, you know, you have to keep in mind, he, um, he had not operated his kitchen for weeks because he decided really uh shortly into the um into the uh closure that he wasn't going to do takeout because two of his employees showed covid symptoms and so he didn't want to risk anybody we don't know if they they tested positive they weren't tested so but he just didn't want to take a chance but so he did this this enormous project and it was part of the tucson uh medical center's uh you know, employee appreciation week and to TMC also kicked in. They matched the anonymous donor to make it possible to make this gift possible. And it was, it was really an amazing thing. And I, and I know that, uh, that Giannis was, you know, I mean, he loves doing things for the community and he's, you know, he's the kind of guy that when they say, can you make meals for 
1,400 people. He's not making PB&J and, and a bag of chips and throwing no. it around people bag. He's, I mean, I even asked him, I said, dude, can I please like go over there and dang, because that's like, it sounded really good. <laughs> but, you know, and he's like, you know, we decided to be, make it special. And so it was really special. But, you know, there are a lot of restaurants that are doing a lot of things quietly. And one of them that I heard about is Doug over at Feast. Oh, okay. and he, yeah, and he's he's been doing these, uh, and I haven't had a chance to call him yet. He's on my to do list, but but Feast has been doing these weekly, um, you know, uh, first responder meals, and Feast is another one. I know he's not doing PB and J. I mean, that guy is very very creative. His restaurant is super creative, and I'm sure he's he's you know putting it all out there for these people. And so I mean, I want to you know give give all these restaurants are doing it and you just gotta, you gotta appreciate how they're coming together and, and, uh, and just helping the community. I mean, I, I think that's what, what Tucson's about is, is that we don't sit on our butt, you know, we just like, you know, and you look at some of the, the heroic things that these restaurants and these individuals are doing and they're, they're heroic on a very small scale, but no less heroic. But it's, I, I just think it's really incredible. And I just want to be invited to one of them because I mean, it just sounds really good. Yeah, this food sounds really good. Well, you know, right? The worst of conditions has brought out the best of people. And that is very Tucson. That is I, the essence very, of Tucson. Very, very Tucson. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it for here. Okay. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have anything that, uh, any sort of social media you'd like to plug or any stories that you might be working on that people should look out for? Um, I, I actually not food related. I am working on some really interesting stories. Uh, we have a, a new um, kind of a electronica horror music band that involves Gabriel Sullivan and Ryan Alfred. And it's really super cool. And we're doing a story that runs in next Thursday's uh, Caliente, and they are doing their debut performance on noaudience.live, and it's really super fun. That's what I'm, I'm really excited about. I'm, I'm excited about doing that story. Very cool. Yep. You can check all of that out, as well as my work and all of our colleagues' work at Tucson.com. You can also subscribe to the paper, Arizona Daily Star. Local news, that's where it's at. That's where we're going to be helping you. Get the knowledge that you need to get through the day with this thing. Yep, absolutely. It was nice seeing your face, Eddie. It was nice seeing you too. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me here today. Before I get going, I do want to note that the views and expressions put out here today are not necessarily those of Lee Enterprises. Um, But thank you folks for listening to the Point Point Being Podcast. Listen to me. Uh, For Kathy Birch, I'm Edward Celaya. Have yourselves a good one.